New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community, proudly supported by Umbrella Connect. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain, and with me today, Vincent Herringer. Welcome along, Vincent. Thanks, Paul. Nice to be here. Now, maybe you can just remind our listeners where you fit into this big wide world of tech, business, journalism and the, the like. Sure, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm host of uh, This Climate Business, which is one of the podcasts in your family of podcasts, Paul. So that's all about the tech that is driving us to a low carbon future. Very exciting amount of entrepreneurship and investment that's you know going into imagining a, a, and delivering on a low emissions, low carbon future. So that interests me. I was the co-founder many years ago of Idealog magazine and maintain a really strong interest in innovation and tech and science uh, amongst other things and wrote a science fiction novel for my sins and, and people actually read it well, at least three of them did I know so I sold copies and it's it's good from what I've read although I haven't finished it yet Vincent I'm, I'm ashamed to say oh well that is uh, a great shame I'm not very good at finishing books <laughs> <laughs> well I'm, I'm sorry that I didn't compel you to finish it Paul I, I probably will when I when I'm on a holiday somewhere and uh, I actually had a reader contact me a couple of days ago they really enjoyed the book and then pointed out a quite hilarious mistake on the last page which completely left me but you know that's one of the things with putting stuff out there is you make mistakes and people find it, which is yeah. quite quite funny. Cool. Well, let's jump in. First up this week, I wanted to talk about Huawei and Huawei getting uh, banned in the in the UK. Now we've seen, obviously, you know, US have have made some pretty strong moves against not just Huawei but a lot of Chinese, uh, you know, tech companies when you when you look at it Australia they you know really blocked Huawei from involvement even in their uh, fixed broadband infrastructure which is, is different to here in New Zealand the UK had sort of give seemed to have given an okay for Huawei to be involved mm. in their 5G was networks it certainly was a, a turnaround wasn't it from what um, had been indicated by Boris Johnson yeah yeah absolutely and Look, you know some of the bits and pieces I've um, I've been picking up on, suggesting that the British government aren't really trying to sort of, you know, hide what's happened here. They're they're saying that uh, this is, um, you know, very much linked to geopolitical reasons, and you know, therefore, I guess uh, you could say this is this is Trump's doing, and and many regards. I think uh, there's such a strong movement back towards nationalism that these sort of transnational companies that we were used to sort of strutting the globe uh, only five years ago have had their wings clipped a little um, and Huawei is a victim uh, of that because um, of the politics of security and and it's not even the politics of security so much as the threat or the perception of the of the threat of the politics of security so it's like wars and rumours of wars almost and um, you know this is to my mind is going to happen more and more but I think that tech and and tech related to comms is at the cutting edge of it because of um, perceptions of um, spying and, um, and information management 
Well, we're we're seeing a lot of a lot of talk and chatter around TikTok uh, too. That's Chinese owned and headquartered. Uh, you know, com- the the company uh, that owns it is is Chinese based, and China haven't helped themselves by their laws that you know effectively state that if they demand a company to give up information, uh, then they have to give it up. Whereas these sorts of things, if they happen in you know, most democratic nations there's yeah a, a bit of a different mix in terms of how that happens and we look to the US and certainly uh, you know I think you can't say that the US uh, is necessarily any better than than any other nation in terms of how how they uh, respond while well, some some would some wouldn't um, but there, if the government is asking for information from one of the big tech companies, certainly not unusual to see a pushback and to see that happening quite publicly. Now, there are some scenarios under which law enforcement can come in and request certain information, but to a, an increasing degree, we're seeing that information be protected by the encryption of the data, and you know, often the holder of that data can't actually get to it and so yeah what we're seeing with with Huawei uh, is is you know I guess as as you as you say it's um, it's these nationalistic sort of uh, changes and uh, that that fear of uh, of of what could happen well I think there's a justifiable suspicion of the motivations of the Chinese government uh, which is uh, a monopolistic militaristic, organization um, in protecting the rights not just uh, of its own citizens but it, uh, of of citizens elsewhere um, and I don't mean protecting I mean undermining um, in the sense that um, you know that organization the, the the Chinese government exists to um, protect itself and replicate itself uh, and and we see that in the way that um, COVID has been used as an excuse for tracking and tracing citizens in China. Mix that with facial recognition software, um, and now also um, using effectively uh, a sort of black mirror kind of measuring system about your status as a COVID-free individual. Suddenly, you've got a really toxic mix of state control over individual freedoms um, and movements. To the extent that n- now it um, it is starting to look more and more like a kind of black mirror scenario, and you know I'm, I'm obviously painting the worst kind of picture, but it's no surprise then that out of that toxic kind of mix you would get a lot of suspicion around uh, what's inside the box of a, a Huawei, Huawei kit, and. Um, the lack of democracy, the lack of openness, the lack of accountability is always going to put Huawei on the back seat compared to Nokia, um, other brands, Samsung, Apple. Um, Apple yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if, if Motorola even exists anymore in, in Ericsson and so on. But, well, you know, the, the Motorola mobile brand is owned by Lenovo out of China. Oh, uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. And... Um, so, you know, in the New Zealand situation has been kind of interesting where uh, we haven't taken a formal stance as a nation about Huawei, but we, we do in little pockets. And it kind of reflects New Zealand's 
very uh, kind of delicate balance around China where we're not like Australia and take a, a kind of um, a bold and vocal stance. We, we sort of pussyfoot around the edge and Spark was well down the track uh, only, what was it, um, Last 18 year. months ago yeah. to install a 5G network off the using Huawei kit, right? And <clears throat> I imagine that it was a hell of a lot cheaper than the Nokia kit and it probably was technically very, very good. Yeah, I mean, everything we hear about the Huawei networks is is that they are, you know, they, they, they live up in terms of delivering well, being good value for money, you know, good capabilities. Now, on the flip side, and this may not be specific to just Huawei, when the UK did some auditing of their technology, they certainly found a bunch of, a bunch of shortcomings mm-hmm. and potential risks and I guess if you audit anything that's been around for quite a number of years they're potentially or well, most likely there will be issues right and um, whether the, Huawei are a whole lot worse than anyone else or not that's a, that's a, that's a little bit hard to know because we haven't seen uh, the I'm, other players I do know, remember the, the same challenges yeah well they don't I think they do have the same challenges but they they have a squeakier political record um, inside the Nokia kit is the Alcatel uh, um, which essentially has built the fibre network uh, for New Zealand and you know so Alcatel now Nokia would be very keen to see um, their relationships with the telcos particularly with um, Spark continue and um, uh, and so I'm sure that there is some very softly softly pressure put on Wellington from the likes of Nokia and others to make sure that um, Huawei is left out of the picture Um, I I do know that when I was doing some work with Alcatel you know they they found it really hard to compete the technology was equivalent and the price was far less and look it it makes sense right in China you look at what the average uh, wages and, and salaries are there they're still dramatically less than they would be in Europe, US, you know, especially when you drill into areas like Silicon Valley, mm. the living costs there are nuts, and the salaries have to uh, have to go yeah. along with it, yeah, right? Yeah, so, <clears throat> if you can if you can afford to hire twice as many people for half the price as your competitor, and you've got a big pool of people to draw from, and they're they're the they're taking on that you know they're number two they're, they're, they're taking on the incumbents aren't they so they're always going to try harder they're going to be more ambitious they're going to um, you know just make sure that they get a toehold in the market they don't have to defend a patch quite the same as the, the likes of um, Alcatel now now Nokia mm. so yeah when, when we when we step back a little bit of course you see that there are there's a lot that goes on in China as far as the technology world and most of our handsets are made in made in China, as well as the network equipment from anybody else. And then we've got other Chinese brands as well. Uh, Oppo been tr- trying out, um, you know, one of their handsets recently, and, and you know, very good, right? Very, you know, pretty pretty um, pretty good, you know, technology. And and that was really where uh, where Huawei got to with the handsets before uh, the US government stopped uh, stop them in their tracks but they still seem to be doing well because they're selling to the Chinese market mm. and to a degree they're still selling uh, selling handsets in other markets just without 
um, but the, I think the, the rest the, of Asia, the Google and, components, yeah, and Africa care terribly so, much. Yeah. Um, do you know anyone that's not bought a handset because it's a Chinese brand? I've not had anybody say that to me, but I think as time goes on and we have more and more of this sort of talk around Chinese companies, I imagine there will be there will be a flow on, and there, does it bother will, you? Will be a consideration. Would it bother you to be working of Huawei Kit in your company Gorilla, for instance? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a really good question. I I think you you have to weigh up, you know, so many factors when you're making decisions around yeah you know, anything. But certainly, you know, from a from a technology perspective, you're weighing up you know who's going to keep whose product is going to be, uh, you know, have the longevity that it needs updates all of those sorts of things and that's probably where where there was certainly the unknown risk around Huawei I don't think you know people knew that the rug might get sort of pulled out from mm-hmm. under the product and so it's that sort of thing that would probably be have the larger impact do you buy a Chinese product knowing that possibly at some point US government says you know sorry this this can't be supported, or this just can't get any updates, and and what have you. Um, it, but but it is a it is a consideration. I mean, there are, you know top companies in in other areas, surveillance cameras, you know, Hikvision, um, and uh, you know a couple of the top brands there. They're, they're Chinese companies. Um, you know what? You know how does that sort of sway sway your decision making if you were in particularly if you were in something quite cutting edge so you imagine let's say rocket lab here in new zealand mm. if they had you know, cameras scattered right throughout their campus yeah they would be wanting to be confident around you know what would happen with that kit now i think mostly the way that kit uh well you know a lot of these systems work is they don't necessarily connect out to the internet they would you know connect back to a a local device that would store uh, your video for instance and and it might be a absolute you know zero risk thing Mm. but there are those sorts of things that i I think are going to start being in people's minds as they make those technology purchasing decisions and they're going to, you know, maybe be a bit more conservative mm, in terms of. In, in right terms at the of heart China. of it is trust, right? You know, do you trust? Most um, technology now is really a data uh, it collects data, right? There's there's almost no piece of kit you can buy that doesn't have some sort of data gathering exercise. I guess because we're all so networked. I mean, we're going to be talking about cars in a minute. You know, cars are now basically part of the network aren't they not just the transport network but the information network so it raises really important questions about trust about where did what's the origin of this where is the data going how is it being used can i get access to it and the um you know the moves by the european union on gdpr i think probably at the moment set the standard in terms of um you know trust and openness and at least some sort of nod towards accountability yeah i i think so i mean having having those you know data protection um rules in place and having them you know quite firm quite clear and then with a sting if you don't uh if you don't comply uh is is very very good and look i think more and more countries will 
uh, end up with something you know somewhat similar. Now that brings us on to uh, news that we got last week of a, a data leak with um, LPM uh, property management, and the what we heard there was uh, thirty thousand uh, clients' personal information uh, becoming. Available online, and this, you know, in- included people's uh, drivers' licenses and passports, and you know, photos and varying other uh, bits, bits and pieces. We seem to be seeing more and more of these types of uh, scenarios. Mm. There, there's a degree to which, though, the headline gets published. It's a big deal. There's a, probably a, a, a minority of their customers that would say, look, we're not going to deal with them ever again. But most people just shrug it off. Well, it happens. The problem is it happens about so it. often, right? <laughs> like, like who, who you're not going to be doing business with. And, and the expectation now is that um, you submit ID, you sub- use your credit card, you use your bank account, Um to so many things, so many organisations want information from me, and and uh, and I transact so much now just through e-commerce that um, it, it's almost to the point where the breaches have become wallpaper, and you don't feel quite the same level of shock um, about what's happening. So I'm I'm curious about this one though, Paul. Um, what happens to that information? You know, let's say you've you've got that collection of information about yourself. It might be a passport, scan. Uh, it might be a bank account detail. From what I understand, that that then gets gathered up and sold on mass, right? Because they're typically not chasing Paul Spain or Vincent Herringer. What they want is to to put you in a database that then gets sold to the bad guys on on uh, on the dark web or wherever. Um, and so your chances of being affected are still quite low, right? Yes, but I, yeah, I guess it's that that unknown, isn't it? Yeah. Well, and the impact can be quite big when, so let's say it's a credit card. There are a range of scenarios in which that can really heavily hit people, particularly if they're travelling. That's not so much of an issue right now. Uh, but there are scenarios which you know can be quite quite inconvenient for people. And then there's where identity theft does happen, and somebody decides to take your house or you know do do something more more sinister. And we certainly hear stories of that sort mm. of thing happening, probably more in the US than mm. than anywhere else. Where I guess there's so many people, and something happens, you know, trying to get somebody to believe you that it wasn't you that you know that purchased something you didn't didn't actually sell your house or you know what what have you uh, but I think there are so, there are lots and lots of scenarios and yeah probably we we don't hear about them enough the mm. likes of uh, netsafe and and others will will hear these sort of stories when people are calling up and uh, you know you've got so many different scams that are that are going on all the time and the cost of these things can be can be quite big when I looked at the impact on uh, generate Kiwi saver uh, and I don't know what they lost with customers last year after um, you know their 
web server was was compromised. Yeah. yeah. Um, in that in that scenario, I think they ended up giving yeah rebates and other things that yeah would have ultimately cost them yeah millions of dollars over you know over a period of years. And in terms of their size and scale as an entity, uh, a really, really big deal. And it's the sort of thing that can certainly completely destroy a, you know, a business. And I think as we see the, the impact of these things getting larger, we will see more, more companies collapse because of um, the, uh, these sorts of cybersecurity I issues. I think the, you know, the issue for the individual who... Uh, it is again this question of trust who who can you trust in this networked world and it's getting harder and harder to be um, a kind of an individual you know you you are you're, you're part of the Borg um, whether it's um, your shopping whether it's your driving whether it's your interactions with with government and uh, there has got to be better ways to um, I mean, we know we've got simple behaviours. Let's you know, let's just run through those in case people don't you know need to be reminded about two-factor authentication. You know, updating your passwords and all those sort of behaviours, which you know, let's face it, most people don't do. That that goes a long way to, to making you more secure. It really does, yeah. But you do feel in this connected world much more vulnerable, don't you, as an individual than ever before. And I'm sure that that's contributing to the plummeting rates of trust of people in brands and mm-hmm. in governments. Yeah, yeah. And New Zealand's unusual in, in trust levels. Um, you know, other countries that they they talk about high trust societies, and New Zealand is, and that's one of the reasons we were so effective with managing COVID. Right, we we did have confidence in the data, we had confidence in the leadership, um, but this sort of undermining of trust through data breaches. It, you know, th- this is just one small law firm with 30,000, but e- each one of those headlines just continues to undermine your confidence in the system, whatever yeah. the system is. Yeah, it certainly does. And uh, look, I, you know, I think in New Zealand we we have some challenges in terms of uh, you know, just how seriously we uh, treat securing data. And that's partly because we have a lot of small organisations, partly because mm. there's the mm. she'll be right, mate, yeah. relaxed uh, Kiwi Kiwi attitude, uh, partly because our you know, legislation doesn't have, well, it's you know it's very very light uh, right right now, and so yeah, if we had equivalent sort of legislation as they have in in Europe, that would make a difference, and and certainly there are you know changes coming in in the months ahead in terms of. Uh, you know, privacy laws and 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 how uh, you know data breaches will need to be notified yes. and so on and, and well, all of, all of those things help, but it's always very hard to have uh, you know the the legal system match technology. Technology moves at at, at such a, a rapid pace. It really does, doesn't and, it? And yeah, we can get you know some laws happen very 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 quickly, <laughs> and usually for. Political, you know, point scoring and 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 so on. I imagine when these things happen very quickly, then. But if they are done quickly, they usually end up with some holes in them, and so you understand why these things do need to take mm. some time. Although but they I do, that, they they do seem to take a very very long time. Yeah, GDPR did have a uh, quite profound effect on organisations. Um, when when did that come into force? Two years ago, um, and. Uh, May May 
2018, and, and I, I found all my clients had to go through a, a massive scramble to mm, get their databases mm. compliant with GDPR, yep. not because they're European-based organisations, but if they had a European customer, then then suddenly they were part of the regime. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So and and you know that in again in our connected world, who doesn't have a who doesn't have a client or a, a customer in Europe? There's some some sort of tie up, right? Yeah. 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 Let's talk about cars. Well, cars are uh, are all getting connected up, aren't they? And that's kind of the 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 news. I was on a call with uh, Ford last week, hearing a little bit about what uh, what they're doing with their uh, cars, and I guess it's 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 that journey from you know traditional automakers as. You know, all of the big companies were to becoming very, very modern, agile tech firms to becoming mobility firms. This, these are the sorts of uh, things that they've been throwing around. And you know, and I know Ford have, have have very much you know talked up being a mobility company rather than a, than a car company, and they've made all sorts of investments in you know very, very. You know, modern things that you might yeah. not expect. A, you know, a company like Ford to be in, invested in, uh, be it you know smart e-bikes and yeah. various things that are you know tied into uh, uh, transit systems and and multimodal uh, you know transport, uh, varying investments in, uh, in in car sharing. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it's it's just a sort of a, a, a constant move. So it's not a not a big surprise to see that they've locally they've um, they've launched their Ford Pass Connect system, which sees a, a number of their new models um, now immediately, um, or, well, already shipping with embedded um, SIM cards and internet uh, connections. Mm. So shall we run yeah, through some of continues. the benefits? Uh, vehicle status and remote vehicle monitoring. So it's a, a little bit like a health app for your your car. It's quite handy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, vehicles have, have been able to be sort of you know connected up when they get to the mechanic, right? And, yeah. Uh, and yeah. tell the mechanic all sorts of things. But we haven't usually known as as vehicle owners necessarily what's That's going right. on. Um, I found this one interesting. Remote start and stop, so you can turn your engine on, you know, at a distance. Why? I'm not sure. I guess it's because maybe you want to turn the heater on. Yep. Just, I, th- you know, I mean, they're, they're definitely... Just put a jumper on, bro. What's that? <laughs> uh, remote lock and unlock. That's quite handy. I'll, I like that. Live traffic updates. Um, that's good because, uh, I, I don't know about you, but um, trying to read a map at the same time as driving is is basically the equivalent of, um, you know, texting and driving. It's just a nightmare, isn't it? So, you know, incorporating that into your into your screen handy uh, vehicle locator always good particularly when you've been on the terps where did I park my car yeah. <laughs> um, and vehicle yep. health alerts I do like that I do like the idea of um, being alerted about just how badly mistreated the vehicle is mm. uh, and, and my, <laughs> my vehicle is mistreated um, so yeah no, quite good but but trivial don't you think you well, know like I think it's it's kind of snazzy but fundamentally trivial. When you think about the shift that Tesla have done as a conception of a vehicle. They they've created a vehicle that has is basically just a, a piece of software, a piece of hardware operating on on the Tesla operating system, right? So um, 
these incumbent companies, Ford, BMW, Mercedes, terrific cars, right? But the, but they're cars. They're not. They and they they're doing their best to try and move into a technology world. And Tesla are already standing in the future. And uh, it's a really good example, Paul, of, of um, the way that innovator, uh, innovators always challenge the incumbents, right? And when That's the first right. Teslas came out, you know, they were unreliable and everyone laughed. And, you know, a couple of them caught fire, a few of them crashed. But um, eventually the incumbents um, are surprised at just how good the innovators are. And they they changed the paradigm, right? So Tesla really has... It's a and and we we know that Apple probably are working on something. Google probably working on something. I, I just think these incumbents will struggle to to really play in the new paradigm that the tech companies are going to create. Well, there's certainly a few people investing in the share market that uh, that would agree with you. Yes, I, I was uh, talking about three weeks ago on uh, TV3 around you know, Tesla's share price, uh, putting them briefly above Toyota to be the most valuable car company in the world. Mm. Now, here we are three weeks later, and their uh, market cap, their valuation, has grown 50% in that time. Mm. So they're, they're, mm. they're now you know worth... Toyota plus you know a whole bunch of other other players within that market. Whether that will stand long term, but it, it, it's a, it's an indicator that a lot of people believe that that Tesla will continue disrupting for you know quite some time. That they're really going to you know take a significant you know, share of the of the market, which at the moment their share is tiny, and that they're going to be a profitable player mm. uh, in in that space mm. and. Yeah, and there'll be others uh, like them, you know, like Tesla will get overtaken by somebody else, but they will be taking the lessons from Tesla about uh, creating vehicles that have hardly any moving parts, mm. that are completely modular, that are basically update can be updated with at the push of a button, that have built-in uh, connectedness, they're built-in autonomy, and it does does remind me of that great saying, you know, if I wanted a um, if I asked the farmers, they would have told me they want a faster horse. Yes, yeah. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, good on Ford for, for doing this, but I, I do think it's window dressing. And there's a much more profound question, Paul, which is when are Ford going to kick their ice vehicles for touch and move into electrics? You know, that is a far more interesting question than remote locking. I mean, it, it, it's on. true, but I think for for the existing players to to change, they they can't just sort of you know flip their fleet entirely from one to another. So they've got an existing. They can and well, they should. Well, okay, I'll, we will disagree on that one. Um, but you know what what I think you know tends to happen, and electric vehicles in New Zealand, for instance, are a small slice of the market right now. Tiny. Uh, and so there's that forever challenge, I suppose, when there are disruptors coming into a market of what do you do? Do you buy them? Do you emulate them? Do you gradually change and and not lose what you've already got? Yes. And so many companies have you know have got the have got these things wrong over the years. I don't know where Ford are going to land, but you know from my interactions w- with them and 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 other uh, car companies. I can see that uh, 
they realise that things are changing, they're trying to get to the right place, but there's that benefit that a Tesla, a Rivian, any of these you know, brand new companies have, and I, you know, something I often talk about, and when I'm you know public speaking around um, disruption and you know what we should do with our existing businesses, and one of those things is you should you know stop and think through if you rebuilt your business today, what would it you know what would it look like? But most businesses don't have that opportunity of. And they, you know, they can't afford just to burn their existing business to the ground. Well, and, someone, and will start it, from, someone will burn it for again. them, right? You well, know, that, 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 that's, that's true. That's and I guess we've talked about this in regards to Sky in the past, right? Yeah, sure. Um, and and so, I guess what we most commonly see is they don't move fast enough. Mm. And I think it would be reasonably easy to argue that that Ford and many others, uh, you know, haven't moved haven't moved far enough. They haven't uh, fast, and they've fast enough, but they've, now they're getting going, and I guess I hope that this that this will continue. Who killed the electric car, Paul? We know who it was. It was GM in cahoots with oil companies. So there has been a conspiracy by the auto industry in cahoots with the fossil fuel industries to maintain the status quo, and they've done incredibly well. They've done really well to resist change. And, um, you know, all, all points to you, mate, for buying a Tesla, for leading the charge. I still own a dirty old Volvo. Um, so well, I can't help myself but to try out and test new technology. Well, and, that's great. Um, you know, it, 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 it panned out. That's that, fantastic. Uh, Shall we talk was, about, um, opportunity. Uh, I'll tell you what um, GM have done, though, which is very cool, has... Um, they are launching or have announced a whole range of electrics across their their group, including, and I'll just read out the brands, um, they're on track to deliver 20 electric vehicles by 2023. That's in, you know, what's in two and a half years' time. And it includes Cadillac, GMC, Chevrolet and Buick. So this is the company that did try and kill the electric car. You know, they, they are the incumbent. But a few years ago... They saw the light and realised that um, if they didn't get their act together, they would be out of business. Mm. I mean, they produce a bunch of crappy cars for a long time, and the Japanese nearly killed them, and deservedly so. Yeah. So um, it was, um, you know, it was the Vault. Uh, it was a project that was that special project, the the Vault that was launched. Right. Uh, what maybe ten years ago now, Chevy twelve Vault. years yeah. ago. Yeah. Um, that uh, was a, a project that they were internally were determined to achieve and it's off the back of that that they've learned a lot about how to build electric vehicles mm. and I, I just think you know it's going to happen really quick Paul I think it'll be a little bit like the the way the iPhone um, seemed new what only 12 years ago mm, and, mm. and now it feels like it's just normal it's just normal and um, I think I, I turned on my um, uh global warming vehicle the other day and I thought I wonder how many more years I will hear the sound of a ice engine ticking over I don't think many I think that it'll turn incredibly fast internal combustion engine for those that aren't, aren't aware what That's ice stands the, for the, sorry yep yep uh, <laughs> sorry about that um, and we will be driving electrics and we'll be amazed that uh, we were driving such filthy beasts only a few years ago yeah, and look, and New Zealand is a, is a great place, of course, with uh, yeah, so much uh, renewable energy. Our power's not that cheap. 
but it's cheap enough that an electric vehicle is uh, is reasonably good value to drive or very good value to drive at the moment and I'm sure that will that will increase when road user charges are added, but it's still likely to pan out pretty well for oh, it'll be awesome. uh, for, for all concerned in the in the long run. I think in that list of um, vehicles that are coming up uh, are a Chevy pickup and also a um, uh, yeah Chevy pickup and a um, what's called an aggressive Chevy Bolt electric crossover. So that sounds pretty cool, you know. But we're not likely to see most of that stuff or maybe any of that stuff in New Zealand because GM's uh, local brand, Holden, has pretty much exited. They've, uh, they've, they've shut up shop and uh, yeah. you know, they're, they're not, not too interested in this, this idea of uh, right-hand drive vehicles. <laughs> uh, it's far, far too complicated be for them. There'll be others. Which, which is fascinating considering that, uh, yeah, that Tesla certainly are. And uh, so maybe 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 that is some sort of sign. I don't know. Um, and you know, meanwhile, we've got other players like uh, BMW, the Mercedes, who are you know, really getting into varying aspects of subscriptions for mm. for car features. Mm. Mm. I noticed with uh, with with Tesla now they they have they have a, a few little uh, components uh, on a subscription. Basis, they ultimately are saying that they're going to offer their their autonomous driving features on a subscription basis. So I don't know when that'll flip, or it, it sounds like they may well still offer it as an outright purchase. But you're effectively paying for software when you buy that to yes. a, a reasonably large degree. There is an element where they've done hardware upgrades, uh, where they've done internal upgrades, and that is quite unique within the audio industry that that you know your car would get some hardware updates i mean as well as the software side which they've you know they've done for a long time yeah. um as well but the full self drive um computer that they launched last year that, you know if you were had had the car and you'd paid for the the, the so called full self drive features um, they ultimately will you know, roll those out yes. into your uh, into your vehicle. Well, so BMW are talking about this operating system 7 that's going to be um, rolled out in all their cars with similar kind of ability to update features um, across the board, right? And um, that doesn't surprise me. They, they have been quite advanced in the way that they've had this connected drive mentality for a long time now, uh, yeah, prob- you probably have, 20 years they've been... You have um, an accident, there's a SIM card in there that's going to call up their centre, it's exactly. going to alert them. Yeah. Um, so they've known where the future is going and they've been, you know, moving relatively slowly because, you know, they still make a ton of money out of selling heavy metal. But um, out of all the car companies, I think, that out of all the incumbents, I think they are the ones that have been the most into the connectedness of, of vehicles and using... Um, connection to improve the the user experience. The other thing that is interesting about this model and Mercedes are experimenting it with it even more so is not just software but actually vehicles on subscriptions. So the business model is effectively you you belong to the Mercedes Club, um, and uh, you it's kind of like a lease arrangement, but it, it it's not as onerous as a lease. And it provides flexibility. This, this operates in parts of Europe and I believe also in the States where you, um, let's say you want to go skiing for the weekend, Paul, and you can, um, you know, throw your gear into a, 
uh, into an SUV, um, but if you're just buzzing around town, you could probably just downscale to a shopping trolley. And I think that kind of model has been taken out of the software world right? and, and put into a different scenario where but it's all a function of, of atoms um, uh, getting, you know, material stuff now is subservient to bits and bytes, isn't it? You know, we're living more and more in an information world, and the bits and bytes are, uh, sorry, the, the the actual atoms are assembled under the instructions of of the information of rather than the yeah. other way around. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think what we'll see with cars, whether it's a subscription model like that, but I'll, uh, that kind of modular approach where you'll be able to upgrade bits and pieces, you you'll probably be able to put a shell on top of a different, you know, on the same chassis. But with with a different shell, you might be able to swap out um, fenders and doors. You know, you might be able to have a convertible through summer and a um, you know and a sedan through winter. So I, I think the the software the, the subscription model is probably the model for um, future transport. And you may not even you know own a car. You might just be subscribed to let's say to Uber. And whatever transport you're gonna want, you're gonna you want to fly to work? Why not? Just call up the you know the Uber. Fire up the app and away you go. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that's certainly the future that we're we're being told to uh, to expect, and you know how it plays out is, you know, I guess going to going to come down to, you know, what is viable, what they can sell on mass, and the you know there there will be you know I'm sure. Um, some bits of it we like, some bits we don't like so much in terms of uh, how that how that pans out. But mm. yeah, we we see that uh, continuing to you know to roll out in varying forms. Some of these things are, are just companies experimenting. But as time goes on, uh, you know, I think it will be the case. I mean, you can imagine. Let's say, I don't, let, let, let's pick Tesla for instance. If they were offering some sort of car subscription model. Then I'm sure there's ways to make the numbers sort of add up, right? If they, you know, they're working hard on these batteries that are supposedly going to last mm. for a million miles. Mm. So, you know, from their perspective, if they've got these batteries that last a million miles and that's the most, or, you know, ultimately the most expensive part of a vehicle, then yeah, they can chop and change things and they can totally own the, own the vehicle. And uh, you know, deliver something at, at probably no more than what we pay today for for our cars, but with a whole lot of added flexibility to be able to, you know, uh, at times you know flip in and out of different models and access maybe a, a vehicle when you're travelling and you're in a different part of the world, and you know you're part of their subscription and you land in San Francisco, and you know either a car comes and picks you up and drives you to your destination. If you want to drive yourself, that maybe could be an option yeah. too. But uh, there, there's certainly a lot of transition ahead. Uh, and as the technology advances, it will open up new options that, I mean, we just wouldn't have thought about five or five or ten years ago. And if, if that, you know, especially if if those sort of core components of the car that are the most valuable in terms of the motors and, and the batteries can last for, you know, million plus miles, then, um, you know, the other bits and pieces can change around them. If you went further with that subscription kind of thinking and you thought that actually I don't really 
most people don't really care about what brand of car they've got. They just want to go somewhere. I mean, you always get car nuts, right? And mm. so there'll always be a subset of people that are brand aware, but most people yep. just want to go somewhere. So transport is the service that's being offered. So you'd put your money on services like Lyft and Uber, right, which are transport agnostic, brand agnostic. They just want to get people to places. And I reckon that the the future is probably going to be in not so much the brands that make the things, but in what kind of experience are you going to have? Is it a luxury experience? Is it um, fast? Is Mm, it mm. cool? Is it heritage? Uh, you know, I think it's going to be m- much more around using the technology to assemble the atoms in the right place, so that um, you actually get. And this is this is not just happening in transport, right? This is happening in. I mean, you look at what's happening in in accommodation. Mm-hmm. You know, there are there are already too many beds in the world. Yeah. What, what has Airbnb yeah. done? Yeah. It's it's yeah. joined all the beds together. Yeah. In a in a way that allows you to customise your experience. You want a sort of homely experience where you could go and stay in someone's house. You want sort of high end. You could you can actually stay in a fancy hotel through Airbnb. So I I reckon it's that the the future is not even the making of things. It's the way they're it's the way the information's assembled and then delivered and what kind of experience you you can have as a user. And and how yeah how seamless you can make that experience right and I think that's where there potentially is that role and and maybe this is why Ford have been talking about themselves as a mobility company now for you know for quite a number of yes. years because they see they've got the scale they've got the oomph to be you know to be that uh, one of those future uh, players mm. and hence why they've been investing in you know in, in some of these different entities Tesla and BMW and others I think are are, are very much trying to look you know, five, ten, twenty years out, and and join those dots up. Certainly, it seems as though a, an Uber type service from Tesla, you know, may not be too far away. In fact, I think you know originally they were talking about an autonomous service, uh, but it sounds like they're they're possibly bringing that a little bit forward by saying, well, you know, you want to effectively be a, a kind of an Uber driver in your in your in your Tesla. Um, then we'll open up the app at that sort of level to uh, to start with, and you know varying other sort of mixes. But there will be that element, and you know I guess this is again we we uh, yeah, Tesla, uh, as with other players, has a little bit of foresight because they're. Uh, I guess you've got your your terms of use because it's a you know it's, it's technology now and um, you're not allowed to use a Tesla to you know autonomously drive other people around on it on its own. There's some rules around what you what you can and can't do. So if you want to do that with it, you have to do it on their platform. I'm so really, they've kind of got this this locked down yeah. uh, set. And so that I guess it's that element of of tying down. An ecosystem, yes. you know, no, we well, see much, how, how Apple, Apple made the hardware them. and software right, and yeah. and, uh, and services yeah. and tie that together very very tightly. Mm. Uh, I imagine that we're going to have you know some variations of that, and then we'll have the more the Uber type services that will work with whatever they can get their hands on. Yeah, I think um, just to bring those two parts of the conversation, the beginning and this part together, though, Paul, you, you think about how reliant we're going to become on transport as a service as a connected service to the point where we may be driving in vehicles that has no driver so imagine you know an autonomous i think it's a long way away by the way but i it's it's not impossible to imagine 
And then you combine that with data breaches, with hacks, with malevolent players, and it kind of ups the ante in terms of terror effect, doesn't it, of barreling along at 120 k's down a motorway. It's one thing to have your credit card hacked. It's another thing to have your car hacked at 120 k's. Now, I, I think... Well, if that, you sort of you know join up the dots of that and, and think 9-11, right, where... You had you basically had a you had a big vehicle that was that was compromised yeah you know, physically yes um, but software would would allow you to to do that with vehicles if they're not uh, adequately you know, controlled. Well, the most logical place for autonomy to happen is in freight. So you know vehicles that move on a really predictable route carrying heavy things such as trucks or trains. And the capacity to do some damage with that, you know, pretty high. And for that reason, I I think autonomy is a long way off. I I don't think that, you know, I think it's still a geeky, techy thing. I I don't think it's going to get, I don't think that the public will have, will tolerate it. Um, I don't think there'll be enough legal support for it. And I don't think there'll be enough kind of, political support for it for that for that very reason that we are constantly seeing compromises in our security on a daily basis and then you combine that with heavy vehicles potentially military vehicles right and as you say airplanes moving around the skies so i'm with malcolm gladwell on this i think we're we're actually decades away from autonomy well, I'm very interested to see how how it plays out. We keep seeing these predictions. 2020, I think, was was one of them. Not 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 so long ago, when we would have fully autonomous vehicles on the road. And look, in some parts of the world, you can go and you can ride a fully autonomous, you know, vehicle in in some form for for ride sharing. Um, but in terms of it being fully widespread and and everywhere, um, that is. That is something more of a challenge. Well, and once again, it's not about the technology, is it? It's about the safety. It's about the politics of it and the economics of it and the, just the kind of the appetite for it. Uh, and that's good. You know, I think that's that's really good. There are so many places where autonomy should be working much faster. Uh, you, you think about the crisis that's happening in horticulture at the moment. Um, I know we're on now we're really on a bender, aren't we, Paul? But, um, you know, where are the robot pickers? We're going to have apples and kiwifruit rotting on the vine this year, which is a, a great shame for our industry and, and, and for New Zealand. So, you know, where, where are the robot pickers? We need them. Yeah, well, that that stuff is is certainly starting to uh, starting to come, and I, you know I think we're gonna we're gonna see a lot more of it. Um, in fact, we have an episode coming up uh, very soon where we're talking to Rokos and um, great and looking looking at their yeah. uh, their their technology, and I'm I'm looking forward to uh, seeing some uh, some dogs. action from the uh, Boston Dynamics uh, robots, sheepdogs, and whatever they they choose to uh, turn them into over the next few days so uh, there is a lot of you know activity on these fronts and yeah ultimately you know some of these things will work out and uh, and some of them might some of them will take a, a, a lot longer uh, I tend I, I tend to hope that we won't be too far away on the autonomous vehicle front because I think there's some some nice advantages in there but ultimately if we get a few accidents and a few bad things happen uh, then that can change you know people's opinions very very quickly in one direction mm. or if we see some very good use cases where you know if there were 
50 cent bus tickets to Wellington or something or other or you know from one part of the country to another uh, on autonomous buses that uh, that never crash then that would uh, that might encourage people in in another direction so I mean we'll see how those things uh, those things play out always the optimist I love it um, now uh, just a, a, a quick one um, I saw there was some some leaks around new things from Samsung and we, we tend to get these through the year you know Apple and Samsung leaks and there have, have been a bunch of things around you know upcoming uh, upcoming iPhones this year iPhone 12 there's the Samsung uh, Galaxy Note of which I think even Samsung themselves ended up putting some stuff online supposedly accidentally I think in uh, in Russia and there's been more leaked and I saw these new Galaxy Buds coming through Galaxy Bud uh, Live that are uh, that are due to be shown off in early August and they look being people are calling them beans, yeah. galaxy beans. They just uh, look great, don't they? And and about time because um, we've been walking around with those. Um, you know, Apple have set the standard once again. But, well, that's but, that's but nobody's done anything. That's cooler. interesting because I've I've been trying all of the year. I've been given I don't know how many different ones from all the different uh, vendors. Um, the Apple ones are good, but they fall out of my ears. Mm. Uh, the Samsung ones, the way they can sort of twist in and and basically, you know, slot in with your into your ear. Uh, the only ones when I'm out and about that will really just stay perfectly um, in location. So, yeah, it'll be um, always good to see you know a bit more competition in this space. But I think that uh, Samsung already you know have a have a reasonable sort of share in there but we probably don't notice them so much I don't know what their market share is compared mm. to Apple Apple do seem to very much sort of dominate yeah. and you, you I mean you notice the uh, uh, the Apple ear buds they, they very much sort of stand out they Although, do, you know they? Huawei and Oppo have some very similar uh, style ones as well so you don't actually know whether somebody's well that was Apple my product. point you know when um, when new cars come out they all look like BMWs or Mercedes don't they yeah um, one thing about those the the earbuds, which I think is a great shame, is the um, the isolation. Um, you know, I notice it in public transport. You know, that I mean, I guess it's been going for a long time now, but you know, nobody talks. Mm, you know, mm, everyone's mm, in their mm. own little world. Yeah. When when you're on the cycle path, I ding my bell in a friendly sort of fashion. Nobody hears. Everyone's <laughs> got earbuds in. Well, the the AirPods Pro are good with that, and that they you know they're bringing through that out. You know, you can set that sort of well, adjustment these, for these bringing new ones in the noise cancelling, right? The sound. So you know, we're starting to see these variations that mm-hmm. give you that chance to be safer out and about, bring in the sounds, uh, as well as being able to um, you know operate um, with with you know if you want to, you know, noise cancel and 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 block things out. Um, but yeah, also bring in those outside sounds. So yeah, I mean, I'm no lad, and I, I I absolutely love my um, my earbuds. But I, I do think uh, I read a piece by an advertising crowd a couple of years ago who uh, really encouraged people not to wear them because um, if if you're in a creative field or you have any aspirations to be in creative sound and the sound of conversations, the sound of nature the sound of technology uh, that's all part of your kind of creative juices you know you and you don't want to be just constantly filling your head with with um with music or or, or podcasts i mean do love podcasts um but you know just be 
leave yourself open to random sounds. Yeah. Be a part of being alive. And silence. I like a bit of silence too. Oh, yeah. You've got to mix a bit of that in. Well, thank you, uh, Vincent. Always great to have you on the uh, New Zealand Tech Podcast. It's my now, pleasure. where do people catch your show? Well, Paul, as you know, everywhere. This climate business. This climate business. Uh, this climate business. com is the URL, and you will find us there. You'll find all the back episodes. But we're on all major um, podcasting platforms, and it's kind of interesting to me. Just when you look at how many people, what you know, the kind of mix of what people use to subscribe to my podcast, um, it's it's really diverse, right? So Apple still predominant, probably forty seven percent Apple, but Spotify up there. Um, what else would be in there? Stitcher. Yeah, there's a whole whole bunch. A whole of bunch. Apps, yeah. yeah. So yeah. easy to find. This yeah. climate yeah. business. This week's episode is pretty interesting. We talked to um, Barry Coates, who's the founder of Mindful Money. And if you want to find out where your Kiwi Kiwi Saver is being invested, Paul, it could be that your Kiwi Saver, unbeknownst to you, is invested in uh, ciggy companies, porn, weapons, fossil fuels. Who knows? But mindful money do, and uh, so he talks about that, and as a way of using money as a as a tool for um, you know shifting the planet just a little bit better. That's to cool. A better place. Yeah, that's good. Well, I'll look forward to that, and um, yeah, the lot, there've been lots of interesting episodes. You had Rod Drury and um, Roger Dennis. Roger Dennis on a, on an episode recently talking about um, um, what what a po- post COVID recovery could be and building in that that kind of low carbon technology um, and infrastructure. Uh, talk to um, Theo about electric vehicles. That was fantastic. Um, also talk to Michael Eglin, who is hopefully building a fleet of electric ferries for Auckland and Tauranga. Mm, um, yeah, fast ferries, uh, yeah. which would be pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, so lots of lots of really interesting people, and, and the tech of you know the green tech is that I I love that stuff. You know, it's pretty interesting what people are doing in terms of using the best of technology to create a. You know, we talked before about uh, atoms. You know, if we use technology well, we use fewer atoms, and uh, and that's kind of a key to, to treating lightly on the planet. Is using less stuff, using, I agree. It, using it more effectively. Yeah. No, we've got we've got to do more of that in New Zealand. All right, well, uh, thanks everybody for joining us here on the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Uh, you can track us down on uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter also. So uh, yeah, good places to connect, and we often have our uh, video streaming on some of those platforms and onto our uh, newish YouTube channel as well. So thanks everyone. Catch you next week. See ya. New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community. Proudly supported by Umbrella Connect.